when my career started at this other agency, my first day, I'm in the locker room getting changed and I see out of the corner of my eye and I'm like, nah, I didn't just see that. And so I have to turn. And like you said, yes, sir, no, sir. I look down and the guy about five lockers down from me opens up his locker and he's got a Confederate flag hanging there. And this is, this is 1997. So it's not the fifties or nothing crazy like that. And I look, I see it. He knows I see it. I don't say anything. I just wind up getting dressed. And that guy wound up being my, my Phil Trangos. We're still friends to this day. You're listening to the Black and Blue Podcast, a discussion and celebration of the roles of African Americans and other minorities in U.S. law enforcement. Your host on the Black and Blue Podcast is Dale Peters, a law enforcement professional with over 20 years experience in the business. Hop on board this Black and Blue train of interviews, current events, and pop culture conversations. So get ready. The Black and Blue Podcast is coming at you right now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the interrogation room. My name is Dale. I'm the host of the Black and Blue Podcast. Thank you for joining me here today. Uh, We're living in some crazy times right now all over this country. Uh, But I got another officer, again, who's on the front line. He is a 25-year veteran of the Los Angeles Airport Police Department. Everybody, please help me welcome in Marshall McClain. Hey, how you doing, sir? I'm great, sir. I'm outstanding. Thanks for having me. So how how things out here treating you out here in L.A.? Oh, well, L.A. is great. Uh, weather's always great. Uh, it's getting a little, little uh, dicey right now with everything going on in Minneapolis. There's some actually active protests going on right now downtown L.A., so just kind of monitoring that. Yeah, okay. Well, you be safe. How's uh, COVID treating you guys, too? COVID's been good. We've been blessed. We, uh, we actually had, I think at one time, we, we, we had about 45 people uh, quarantined. Um, I think the number was either five or six that initially tested positive. They, we, we got hit early on just dealing with international passengers. So we had, uh, I believe it was five or six officers went, went down pretty quick. Uh, and then we had a couple more after that. And then I actually just recently heard that some of our security officers are being quarantined because we got a a positive case again. So um, the airport is still active. It's still, uh, you know, it's a downturn right now, but there's still flights happening. So, which means you still have people coming in from, from other places. So uh, the risk is still there. So it's been a big, big downturn, I'm sure. Um, How's the traffic and, and the air traffic now? (laughs) <laughs> well, at, at one time it was uh, it was bad as ninety six percent as a downturn from where it was last year. I think uh, it's been a little bit of an uptick. It's about ninety two. So the numbers came out. LAX was the third busiest airport in the world uh, last year. Um, so we're hoping that once the economy uh, rebounds, uh, things get back to somewhat of normal. They're 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 projecting. Uh, a rebound instead of like a, a, a V shape where it's, you know, down and right back up They're They're saying it'd be more like a, a U 
Uh, unfortunately, we're looking at the possibility of, of furloughing some folks. Uh, hopefully no one gets laid off and hopefully it's only a furlough. But uh, last report I got from the uh, CFO from the airport, we we're looking at about a almost a $200 million deficit uh, that they're trying to close by the new fiscal year starting July 1. So being that I'm, I'm with the union, we, we get, you know, kind of inside baseball and all of those things. So it is bleak. The good part is being that it is an international airport backed by the federal government and, and those type of finances, uh, th- those things would definitely help. The CARES Act is definitely helping. Uh, it's just going to take some time to get everything back because uh, you, you've got a couple of people filing bankruptcy uh, that directly impact the airport. A couple of airlines have a Hertz rental car just filed bankruptcy, and that's a major uh, player there as well. So um, that's what's going on. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Now, those furloughs, are they looking uh, across the whole airport or is that just with the police department that you were talking about? So with so we're the largest division within the Department of Airports uh, with Airport Police. We also have uh, civilian personnel as well. So there's a there's about eleven hundred, just under twelve hundred uh, sworn and civilian personnel. Uh, sworn wise, we're the we're the we're the third largest in LA County now. I'm sorry, the fourth largest. You have the LAPD, you have the LA County Sheriff's, you have Long Beach uh, PD, and then you have us in terms of size. But our civilian component makes up the the remainder of that. So we're just we're not quite 600. I think we're about 550 sworn. Uh, we have LAX. We have Van Nuys. We used to have Ontario and we used to have Palmdale. Uh, when I started there in 03, we were actually looking at buying a fifth airport. They were going to make El Toro into uh, an international airport, which I really wish they had, because those same people who uh, who were against it are some of the same folks that complain that they have to drive up to LAX to to get a longer flight. So that would definitely help disperse a lot of the traffic. Uh, and I'm already starting to see the traffic come back now that the people are out and about that, that four or five freeway is just, it's just terrible. So, yeah, well, that thing is always terrible. Always. Yes. I don't think, yes. I don't think you got a break on the four or five. No, whether it's 3 PM or 3 AM, it's, it's bad. So, yeah. yep. Yep. I know that area. Well, try to stay out of that, out of that area as much as I can. So, well, the exciting part is the construction is still ongoing uh, in and around the airport. Uh, that's from a separate fund. Uh, some of it is, is AIP funds, which is airport improvement funds that, that are backed by the, the federal government, along with uh, they have airport revenue bonds that help pay for that. So it's a separate pot of money. So all those construction projects are still ongoing. If you, if you were to go down to LAX right now, you'll probably see eight or nine cranes up in the air actively moving. So one, they're building... Uh, an actual tram system finally uh, that's going to connect the uh, the green line to to the actual tram that'll take into the airport. So <laughs> in the future, you'll be able to park on an outside location, uh, remote from internally of the airport, out by a uh, by the four hundred five freeway in La Cienega, and then there's a, a tram system that an automated people mover that's going to do about I think it's every two minutes the tram's going to take you into the airport. Or if you, let's say you were coming from downtown LA and you hopped on the, on the Metro, you could take that down and, and hook up to that and come in and not have to use the car. So that's, that's huge. That's never happened before at LAX. Right. They're working on a uh, consolidated rental car facility. I mean, if you've gone to other airports, you see most of them are all in the same location. LAX has always been spread out you know, different locations. So it's going to be uh, the largest rental car facility, one, one location in Northern America. 
we're finally getting a brand new police station that's supposed to be finished uh, late next year. So some exciting things going on there. They're still building, they're looking at building two more terminals. Um, terminal one, which is Southwest, the first one you see, they're supposed to be building a terminal zero just before that. They just completed another uh, midfield terminal on the other side of Bradley, the international terminal, and then they're supposed to be doing a terminal uh, nine as well. So uh, it's still actively growing. And that that's good for us because that means when, when everything gets back to the new normal, we're going to have to actively hire uh, a lot of people, a lot of recruitment, because you you also have big uh, national and international events that are coming that are going to affect that area as well. You got the Super Bowl coming up, you've got the Olympics coming up, you've got uh, two NFL teams are going to be playing every Sunday next next door to us in Inglewood. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that's going on. They're talking about FIFA with soccer, um, so it, it's it's going to it, we're, we're expecting a rebound when it, when it does happen, it, it's going to happen and there's yep. going to be a lot of things going on. To continue yep. to go on. So no doubt. That's no all doubt. So uh, what, what is the uh, LA, the typical operations? What does the LA airport police uh, do for those of us that don't know? Well, we get that question a lot. Uh, we're separate and apart from, from LAPD uh, for the last, I want to say nine years, I believe or eight or nine years, all of our, our new hires go through the LAPD Academy. Prior to that, it was a combination of either LAPD, LA County Sheriff's, or uh, Rio Hondo uh, training facility over at Rio Hondo uh, Community College. Um, so that that's the, the starting point. Um, because LAX is so large, it's a city within a city. Uh, so we pretty much get any, any and all crimes that you would get in a normal uh, municipality uh, with the exception of murder, we're, we're not having homicides. We, we do have suicides. Unfortunately, we have, uh, jumpers that, that come every now and again, holiday time where, where we'll have some suicides there, but, um, not, not typically we're not having homicides, but, you know, robbery, thefts, uh, workplace violence, domestic violence. Uh, we have one of the largest, uh, bomb canine units in the country. Uh, we have a joint unit currently with LAPD. Um, we've got a detective unit that's growing. We've got, uh, we've got motors. Uh, we had a gang unit. We'll bring that back. Uh, that was more of a, a political thing where people didn't want to say that there's gangs at the airport, but all of our surrounding agencies and their gang task force would say, Hey, we're, we're, st- we're stopping a lot of guys and, and they've got their, air- their, their, their badges showing that they work at the airport. So it's kind of like, here's their real work. And when they're outside their real work, they're out there, you know, doing, doing other stuff. Right. So we had started that. Uh, we, we hope to bring that back. We've got detectives assigned to pretty much every task force you can think of when it comes to narcotics task force, uh, joint terrorist task force, uh, FBI task force. So because it's international, uh, any, any incident can go from being a, something that happens to an international incident, you know, in a matter of, of seconds. So I know previously we typically didn't hire young, young officers like 21, 21 year olds. They typically would hire uh, folks that are former military or uh, guys usually in their thirties, just because of that, that experience to be able to talk to people. Cause you're, you're on any given day, you're dealing with uh, probably about 200,000 passengers. Um, LAX is, is a business obviously. So, 
they're looking at it from a PR standpoint, as far as the passenger experience, as far as that. So a lot of things that happen, um, you don't hear about it because whether it's good or bad, you have a business model that, hey, we don't want to talk about the crime, or we don't want to talk about the narcotics. We don't want to talk about that kind of stuff because their focus is on the business of the airport. And, and their concern is we don't want people thinking, hey, the, the airport's not safe. Right. So that it's kind of a, a, a weird mix between, uh, you know, having a public information officer that's going to put that information out there and the PR person from the airport saying, hey, hey, the, the, the place is safe. So that that's why typically you don't hear a lot about the airport that that model's starting to change because. Like anything else, if you're not putting a positive foot out there when something bad does happen, they don't have anything to compare it to. And that that and especially in our line of work, you, you want to be able to show uh, the community work, the, the effort that you do, because we also have uh, the area outside the airport uh, along down Century Boulevard, uh, a lot of the hotels out there, Denny's, that property is actually owned by the airport and then it's leased out. So we patrol that area. There's there there was a large um residential community that that they're now converting to to property to to build the the station and things of that nature but our officers are are still having area like uh, i'll give you if you're familiar with the area uh manchester to the north manchester boulevard (coughs) to the south would be imperial that goes into the the freeway the 105 and then the uh eastern border would be the 405 freeway so it's a pretty large space and a lot, lot of, lot of uh, business and residential property in there, and then we overlap with LAPD Pacific Division that, that comes in that area as well. Right. Okay. Okay. And you've been there. You said twenty five years, and no, you come from somewhere so I, else. I've or? been. I, I I worked at another agency. I started my police career at another agency in LA County. I was there just under five years. Then I came over to the airport. I've uh, been at the airport since two thousand three. So I'm I'm actually in my 24th year now. Okay. Uh, com- combined agencies. So, yeah. uh, um, I've been a been a field training officer, uh, been a terrorism liaison officer, been a canine handler. That was by far the best job ever. You get paid to play with a dog. You get to take your car home. Uh, get a lot of great training. Um, and, and I had a, a patrol dog, so we had a lot of fun helping out all the surrounding agencies. Uh, and then the, the last assignment was a senior lead officer. I'm now currently on loan uh, full-time to the union as a union president. Um, what I like is our new chief has been allowing me to actually come back to work and not just straight full-time union. I can come back. And so lately I've been working uh, one day a week, come and do a patrol assignment. So that's good to keep, keep fresh. Yeah, definitely. But uh, the need is there for a full-time union rep, full-time uh, president? Yeah, when you've got, um, so on the officer level, we've got, uh, I want to say about 450 officers. We also represent the uh, LA City Park Rangers and a, a group of officers. Uh, they used to be called General Services Police, LA General Services Police. Then they changed the name to uh, Office of Public Safety when they combined the LA City Park Ranger. Uh, they had the interpretive side and they had the policing side. So they had a model where they merged general services police with, uh, with those park rangers and called it OPS. And then they changed the name. The most recent name is, is uh, LA Municipal Police. 
which is part of LAPD, not quite LAPD. It's about 22 of them left. The other, I want to say 60 or 75 officers actually transferred over and lateral over LAPD. So at one time you had uh, four distinct police agencies in the city of LA. You had LAPD, you had LA Park Rangers, LA Port Police, and LA Airport Police. LA School Police even has LA in the name, but they're they're not part of the, the city family. They're funded uh, separately from the city. They're not city employees. Right. School so district. With that, yeah, school district. So with, with that going on, uh, with contract talks and negotiations, it, it, it was one of those things we kept coming up short. Uh, when it came to negotiations with coming to other things, because wearing tool, dual hats, like say I was a canine handler, I'm working a 10 hour shift. Then I'm coming home. My wife's like, Hey, you just worked 10 hours. Now you're working another, you know, four or five hours at home on the phone, you know, representing people trying to get ready for contract negotiations. And we started looking at what are these other agencies doing? Well, the larger agencies, even, even school police, which is smaller than us, you know, they have a full-time uh, union rep. And that's that's what they do. And so the way that works is uh, I'm a salaried employee. The union actually reimburses the, the city or in this case, the airport for my salary at about 75 percent of my full salary. I get the full amount, but the union represents uh, or, or reimburses about 75 percent. And the reason it's not full 100 is because I still have to qualify, still have to do whatever. Uh, post-required training, all of those things, and that would still be city time um, or any type of meetings like that is city time. So that's the way it works out. We have a, we have um, elections every two years. Um, I've been fortunate enough uh, that people have, have voted me in for the last several years. So I, I've actually been uh, the president now. This is going into my 11th year. Oh, okay. Um, but but I haven't been on full time release for the full eleven. The that's only been the last almost four years consistently. So the other time was was actually um, still working and, and wearing both hats. Right, right. And do you do a lot of work with the with the new hires with the uh, trying to get that started? You know, recruitment and making sure the, the numbers of of minorities or anything like that is is fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Well, not as much as I'd like. Um, with our new chief, I, I see that change. Well, he, he just got here. He hasn't been here six months yet. Um, our new chief is the first African-American we've, we've actually had uh, in the title of chief of police. So the airport police goes back to, to 1946. They weren't police officers then. They were, they were board and services. Is that, that's what, what was they were called, board and services agents. They wore kind of a, a blazer style uniform and they would be the security uh, beyond screen. When uh, the 84 Olympics came around, that's when the big push was, hey, we need to have a larger police presence at, at LA International Airport. They first reached out to LAPD and at the time it was the uh, uh, Chief Gates. He really didn't want any part of putting more LAPD officers there. So that's when they said, okay, we're going to do a do a massive hire and 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 actually go full fledged and make it a police agency. The folks who were there, they they grandfathered them in, sent them to uh, at the time it was a module D course or reserve type situation to get all of their uh, accreditation done. And then of course things have changed ever since '84. You've had different uh, 
terrorist incidents that have happened. Then, of course, you had 9-11 that has happened. So you went from an agency that was under 100 uh, prior prior to 84, I think, and before 9-11, I think the agency was less than 200. And so we've, we've almost tripled in size. Um, and, of course, responsibility has changed, too. But the storied history of, of the airport police is that back in the late 80s, 90s, uh, LAPD wasn't hiring people of color. They weren't hiring. After, I mean, they, the eight, eight out of 10 officers back in the late 80s, 90s of LAPD were male white. So those folks who were still in the L.A. area that were applying to LAPD, the, the other option was the airport. So as a result of that, we're a majority minority agency. At, at one time, we were over 60% African-American. Uh, right now, I think the number is about 25%, which is still probably double most agencies around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so it, it's, a, it's a different makeup there. Um, I remember talking to some folks at LAPD at one time. You looked at the makeup of our board of directors for our union compared to LAPD's union and LAPD, they, they now have a uh, vice president that's African-American female. She's a sergeant with LAPD, uh, but she was actually the first African-American they had served on their board in I think 91 years. And that, that just happened, I want to say four or five years ago. So uh, it, it, it's, it's an interesting, uh, you know, there, there are, our big brother, our, our, our kissing cousin, so to speak, in the city. Um, and so we're always in the shadow of LAPD. Um, but I would say what sets us apart is, for one, uh, the diversity of our agency. And we have a totally, total, total different mission. You, you can't work in our type of environment. Um, I think the same would be said for school police. I would say probably the same would be said for a lot of specialized law enforcement. Uh, because you have to do more interaction. You have to talk with people more. It's, it's a different dynamic in terms of a, a regular street cop. Um, now, be, being that we're still in L.A. and being that where we're located, as far as LAX, we got Inglewood to the east. We got El Segundo to the south, Culver City and LAPD to the north. So you get your share of whatever action you want to get to that comes in there if you choose to do that. But you also have to do the other part. The, so community policing at the airport is, is really paramount in terms of knowing who the state, the, the, the station manager are, the stakeholders are. We even have, and, and people kind of go, how is this possible? But we, had a, a, we still have a, a challenging homeless population at the airport because it's still a public area. Um, right. So they're trying to combat that right now. Um, so when it comes to diversity issues we 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 don't look like most police agencies around uh even to my respect you know the name marshall mcclain most people don't expect to see me when i walk in the room uh i remember talking to a guy on the phone and he was telling telling me about hey mcclain uh you interested in joining the emerald society and i'm wearing this for my my brothers on the <laughs> east coast at uh port, port authority uh new york new jersey i, I went and marched in their uh their uh, St. Paddy's Day parade uh, a couple years ago. <laughs> nice. Most fun, mo- most fun I've ever had in a police uniform. Those guys, uh, they they'll, they'll show you a good time. And I, I think every every law enforcement officer I think needs to do three things, especially in California. You need to go to the the memorial in California. I mean, I'm sorry, in Sacramento. 
you need to go to the National Memorial in D.C. And you need to go to Chicago, New York or Boston and go to one of their St. Paddy's Day parades because it, it is it is just a different type of dynamic. I don't think that we would be able to do that in L.A. County to be able to actually block off the streets and have a parade with a bunch of police officers walking in uniform. I just don't see that happen. I think people would shut it down. It would be insensitive about it. Where this is in New York, and I want to say it was about a couple hundred thousand people in the parade, and there was over a million people that came out to watch this. And this was just two years ago. Wow! And it was just nice. it was nice. a, it was an it was a it was an awesome feeling. And let me ask so, you though, did you get to wear a kilt? <laughs> I keep threatening people that I'm going to wear it with my McLean Clan colors, but uh, it hasn't happened yet. Uh, um, but a, a funny story, I was applying with another agency before I got hired and you go in for the test and I show them my ID. Big corn fed redhead guy, probably Irish or Scottish, not sure, but he sees my name, lets out this big laugh and he says, Marshall McLean. <laughs> funny, you don't look Irish. So me being a smart ass as I was, I looked and I said, well, actually the way that's spelled, it's actually Scottish. Uh, and it's actually not a, an Irish name. It's, it's actually an African name. And he had this puzzled look. I said, yeah. I said, you got your story all wrong. I said, actually, it's an African name. And we actually had some Irish folks that were picking potatoes for black folks. And then they liked the master's name and those Irish folks took the McLean name and that's how they came. Uh, needless to say, he got, he turned red. He got really upset and he said, you can take your seat. I didn't get hired with that you job, get- but it was, it was one of those things like, why are you getting upset when you started this banter with me? Right. You know? And it's like, yeah, okay. And I, I, it was one of those things where, I was just applying with every agency possible. And after, you know, three or four different agencies applying, I was kind of burnt out. And as soon as that guy, you know, said that, like, hey, funny, you're not Irish, thinking it was a funny joke. It just, it didn't set me off. I didn't get upset. I was like, oh, he wants to have fun. I'm going to have fun back. Have fun back, yeah. He didn't like Yeah. Yeah, he didn't like well, it. Well, so. he had the power and he had the job and mm-hmm. you didn't. So, you know, you're supposed yep. to come in there, yes, sir, yep. and, and keep your mouth shut. So, oh, yeah. It, it Absolutely. worked out for the best for you. Let's Absolutely. just say that because yeah. I've had a I've had a colorful career just being the, the union side of things, the canine side of things. I remember, uh, like I said, our canine unit is pretty large. And, you know, you look at the makeup of our, our canine unit. You, you don't have a lot of black male cops to begin with, let alone a lot of black male canine handlers, because that's, you know, specialized assignment as well. So <laughs> I remember when we would have our, our South Bay uh, training with all the different South Bay agencies and whenever we would show up, mo- most agencies, if they have a canine unit, they might have one, maybe two. Uh, we, w- we, I think right now, currently we have about 25 guys in our canine unit. Uh, LAPD has another 15. That's all at LAX right now. So from the patrol side at the time, we had 10, 10 canine teams. So we would show up and it was, you know, on that team, I think we had three or four guys that were African-American men. We had a, a African-American female. We had a, a, a Hispanic female, a Filipino male. I mean, so we had a, a d- diverse group walking in. And it was like, I remember 
there was a black hand, black, black canine handler from Inglewood, and he would always call when we'd have the training days and say, hey, are you guys showing up today? Because I don't want to be the only black guy in the room. <laughs> and we're like, yeah. and, then we, yeah. and then we would show up, and it's like, oh, man, like 10 of them showed up. Yeah, what happened? all here now. Y'all, y'all so, all here. Yeah, and it was, it, it was it, you're a black male, you've been black all your life, you're now a cop. So, so certain things that happen, I mean, they're, some things are racist and some things are just, you're, you're changing the norm. Uh, when my career started at this other agency, my first day, I'm in the locker room getting changed and I see out of the corner of my eye and I'm like, I, nah, I didn't just see that. And so I have to turn. And like you said, yes, sir, no, sir. I look down and the guy about five lockers down from me opens up his locker and he's got a Confederate flag hanging there. And this is, this is 1997. So it's not the 50s or nothing crazy like that. And I look, I see it. He knows I see it. I don't say anything. I just wind up getting dressed. And that guy wound up being my, my Phil training officer. We're still friends to this day. He was a okay. big time uh, Civil War buff, all did the Civil War reenactments and all this other stuff, and uh, very into the South. Um, I can't sit here and say that, that that guy was a racist. Other people would say, "Ah, oh, you're 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 naive." Uh, we rode into, we rode in a car together and never experienced anything like that. And in fact, um, I wound up having to to sue that agency. And he actually came and defended me for that and, and represented me for that. But it was one of those things where I could have could have went off and probably would have lost that job. But probably more than likely, I, I wouldn't have made training. They would have labeled me like, hey, that guy's a problem child. Um, but like I said, I'm still still friends with that guy to this day. Um, never had a bad experience with him at all. Uh, so when when I saw your previous video about uh, Dion Joseph and he was talking about his his experience, I, I'm I'm sure you're not going to find too many African American police officers that haven't had some strange experiences that probably wouldn't go down in other professions. Yep, definitely, definitely. So on that note, what uh, what drew you to law enforcement in the first place? What's your story there? <laughs> Uh, some of it growing up watching chips as a, as a kid, uh, me and my cousin. So I have a, a very large family. My, my mom has eight siblings. Um, I have 32 first cousins. Uh, if you run into anyone named McLean with the last name spelled like me, we're probably related. Uh, if you run into anyone named Culpepper, we're related as well. So it's a bunch of us. And we grew up in Pasadena. Uh, like I said, 32 first cousins, uh, so we had a lot of fun. There, there's not any in my immediate family, any police officers, uh, several uncles in the military. Um, so when, when, you know, growing up, me and my cousin who wound up going on to be a lawyer, but we would always play, play chips and play cops and robbers all the time growing up. Um, so when so I got let, heist, let me, let me ask you real quick. When you played chips, which one were you punch or John? We used to always get in the fights over who was John, who was yep. John, and who was Ponch. It's like you were Ponch last time, man. How yeah, we, you know, <laughs> one of us would wind up crying, like, man, I don't yep. want to be John. Right, right. 
So, so yeah, Poncherello and coming full circle, meeting him now as an adult, he, he's actually Eric Estrada's a funny guy. Uh, but you know, go, getting getting in, uh, become a teenager, getting in high school, um, got into uh, um, a CHP officer came and did one of the sober grad type scenarios, and then you know, my plan was to go into the military and have a, a career in the military. I got discharged uh, honorably for asthma. Everybody was going to Desert Storm. I got sent home, and I remembered that that CHP officer. I was 18 at the time. Got hooked up with him and became a police explorer for for California Highway Patrol. Uh, thought I was going to go in the to, to be a chippy. You know, it was like, hey, come come in full circle, and then just started um, thinking about it more often about what what chp does what other agencies do wasn't really sure i just knew i wanted to be a cop but because i got discharged from the army um i every time i would apply with different agencies they're like wait we're not sure if you're going to make it through an academy because you have asthma and i said look i played every sport there is in 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 in, uh, in high school played soccer football basketball baseball volleyball it's not an issue got over to missouri and boot camp started wheezing they're like hey Everybody's going to Desert Storm. We we don't want a problem. You getting over there having an asthma attack or something like that. So instead of getting recycled again and get get medically discharged, six six months later it's an honorable discharge. So I was like, okay, what do I do now? Became explorer. Then I then I found out about regional training academies like Rio Hondo, where you could pay your money and 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 go through the academy. Um, so after I went through the academy. Um, met some guys up there, LA city park rangers up there and other guys. And then one of the guys that I was a police explorer with got hired at an agency. And then because I'd already put myself through, they already looked at me and then I, that's, that's basically, he told me, Hey, apply here. And I got the job there. And it was, it was the, the funniest thing because, you know, I still remember a comment where a guy said, Hey, you're, you're the darkest thing that we've ever had in the front of a patrol car. What the hell? And he meant that, that in a nice. He meant that in a nice way, and I was kind of like, I can wow, "Imagine you, what he did." Yeah. Do you just do? Do you just? I mean, did you hear what you just said? How that came out, and he was like, "Hey, I don't mean anything bad by it." Um, and so, you know, I don't mention the, the agency just because they had some challenges, and I, I have some friends there that are still there, but um, it, that was my my first introductory to doing the full-time work. Um, I remember there were times where I had, she had to call other officers um, when I'd be on a traffic stop and call other officers to show up because in that community, people would say, we didn't know that we had any colored officers here. They said colored. Colored, huh? Like, they living like, back in the sixties. Wow. Yeah. And so a uh, good friend of mine, um, he lateral from another agency, uh, light-skinned, uh, very light-skinned African-American. He told me a story about same agency where 911 hot prowl. He responds, checks the area, nothing going on. Um, asks, you know, dispatch, hey, you know, have, have, the, uh, have the RP step out. She won't step out. They're on the line with her. Hey, have her step out. The officer's there. She sees the officer and says, no, he's standing outside. The suspect is standing outside my front door. 
they actually have to coax her to open the door saying, no, that's the officer. And she said, I, I didn't know that you had any black officers working here. Yeah, and again, well, this, th- this is, this is 97, 98. Yeah. So, yeah. so when you come full circle to where we are today in law enforcement, there's still a lot of changes that need to happen. Um, I think one of the parts that, that I think is still troubling to where some things we make, uh, we take a piece of something and, and put them together with something else. I, I'm, I'm still even talking to people to explain to them that not, not everything is police brutality. Not everything is racism. Some things that you uh, put together aren't what they are. Um, case in point where you, I just had a discussion with someone this week and they, they mentioned um, uh, Trayvon Martin. And I said, that wasn't a police officer. Yeah, yeah, it was. Like, no, nah, that, that guy was a wannabe police officer, but he wasn't a police officer. But, but that was all lumped in. Um, someone else told me, well, you know, you, it, shouldn't be a, it shouldn't be a crime for you to be black. And I said, you're right, it shouldn't. But is that always the case? Because sometimes I think we, we try to cover over the fact that some criminal act happened that put that person in that situation. And, and that, that's when it becomes troublesome for me. I mean, when someone tries to say that, and, and we, it'll be a much longer conversation, we get into tactics and training all that. I mean, what, what happened in Minneapolis, as far as I'm concerned, that those were, were poor tactics. The problem with that mm-hmm. is when the, when the department trained them that way, I mean, I, I actually seen the use of force policy and the use of force policy for Minneapolis Police Department actually trains and teaches that technique of, of, of putting your knee on someone's neck. Uh, yeah, they, yeah they, a lot they, of us have they, gotten, a lot of agencies yeah. have gotten away from the, you know, from the LVN, unless it's, mm-hmm. you know, really, really extreme. And that's, you know, just for, with your arms, you know, for, behind it but I, i've never heard and ever seen any agency do it with your with your knee i mean that that yeah, just seems I'll, like that could I'll, go I'll, that could go I'll wrong in so many different you. ways yeah yeah, yeah I, i've I'll heard it. I, i've seen that yeah but i'm just saying just thinking of it logically that that could just go wrong in so many different ways using your leg yeah. using your knee on someone's neck as opposed to not, you know yeah not only not only there's a section in there not only for a a conscious suspect but it even it even recommends it or not recommends but even speaks to the policy about you being able to use your 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 knee or your leg on someone's neck even when they're unconscious so you would need to do that why when they're unconscious exactly exactly whether they're whether they're black or white and 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 so can can I sit here from what I know from seeing that video? Because we don't know unless you know something different. I can't flat out say that that's racism. Now, someone could say that that's systemic racism. Yeah, you definitely have an argument there of, of, of how things have transpired. You look at the, the agency, people can start talking that talk, but I don't know that. And so that's the problem that I have being being a black man, being a police officer, when sometimes trying to educate people how we do our job, why we do our job, how we're trained, and how sometimes, and I'm not saying Minneapolis is that case, because I, I can't look at that video and see what they did was, was correct or right or even necessary. 
I can't see why you would need to keep your knee on somebody's neck, even if you were trained that way for the period of time that he did. And at no time, look at the well-being of the person. At no time do you render aid. Yeah, you, you can't cover that up. At least just look down at him. And say, you all right, dude? You, you know? Yeah. Uh, that didn't even yeah. happen. So nah, yeah. he was looking at just just flat disregard. Yep. But then when, when someone says something like, hey, well, you know, Trayvon Martin, the guy was just on a cell phone in his grandmother's backyard and he got killed. I said, that, that's not really what happened. Well, yeah, it is. That's not what happened. There's more to the story than that. And when, when somebody takes a, a cell phone in a dark environment and takes a bladed stance with the phone in their hand and points it toward the police officers, that's not usually going to end in a, in a positive light. So yeah, the, 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 that's the challenges that I'm having. That's the challenge that some of our officers are having. And then when you get into the community or you get with some of your family members, they're like, how can you do this job? How can you be a black man? and do this job. Yeah. That's, that's what I was going to ask you. How, how's it been with your family, um, over the years? And especially when you were first start thinking about getting into the job, how, mm-hmm. how was that relationship, uh, going in with them, t- telling them that's what you wanted to do and, and how's it been lately? Uh, it's gotten a lot dramatically better over the years. Uh, I have two older sisters. One of my sisters, uh, went to Berkeley uh, she was a woman studies major. Okay. That says her a lot key, there. Yeah. 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 Woman studies major. Uh, her, her, her keynote speaker for her graduation was Angela Davis. So for there was, there was a period of time that, that most things that came out of my mouth was wrong. I mean, if I said policeman instead of police person, um, I, I, I was almost everything I said was politically incorrect. Um, now that she's older, now that she has kids, now when things happen, she's like, you know, that could have been my brother. So we have we have a a, a different dynamic and, and dialogue now. My my mother is also somewhat in academia. Um, she was in a PhD program and got tired of school and just kind of, you know, now she she's a therapist and she's been a social worker. So my mom's a bit of a gypsy. She's she's retired about three different times. Love her to death. She she's a uh, She's still going strong right now, even with the, the COVID, she gets up and walks and everything. So we have some, we actually had a conversation earlier today about what was going on. And, and I told her before that what I've seen over the years in terms of training, especially in academies and recruitment, I think is one of the primary problems in law enforcement. Uh, when I started the academy back in 96, we used to have boxing. You used to have to get in the I ring. You, yep. you had, you had, yeah, you had to box with people. Three rounds. That's I been remember. Ta- yeah, yeah. That's been taken out. Um, you know, you you had day zero, and day zero didn't end until we we uh, you know somebody quit. Uh, it's still paramilitary, but I I think that the structure of police academies before uh, has changed a lot dramatically in the sense and and i think a lot of that has come from oversight of 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 individuals that don't know they think they know uh and and this was the discussion i had with my mom when uh she says well you know you don't have to yell at somebody for them to learn i said mom look at the profession that they're going into do you want the first time that that individual has somebody yelling at them is when they're actually out there on the street doing the Mm -hmm. job i don't think you do I said, so if you have someone who 
if you're if you're not trying because a lot of agencies unfortunately are, are starting to shy away from the military because they're they're the stigma of PTSD or PTSI and they're worried about that. So you're taking you're getting more younger younger kids, 21 years old, that don't have the same life experiences as someone who may have served in the military, uh, and then they put them in that environment. Now you now you you couple that with a police academy that's no longer a stress environment. And so the the first real stress that they're having is not is no longer in a controlled environment. It's now at two o'clock in the morning in somebody's house yep. and that person's old enough to be your dad and they're upset that you're in my house to begin with and now you're gonna talk to me, you're gonna disrespect me in my own house. That's not gonna end well. And so that's the challenge we have. So the other seat that I have is sitting on the 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 PORAC board. So I've been on the PORAC executive board. Uh, we represent over 70,000 uh, police and deputy sheriffs throughout California. Yeah. And so, so for our, our listeners and viewers that don't know what PORAC is, what is that? So PORAC is the Peace Officers Research Association of California. And it's basically an association of associations. Um, so uh, you, you have like, for example, Airport Police Association, LA School Police Association, you have multiple associations that are members of that. Um, and you, you, you have different benefits such as legal defense. Uh, they, they have a pool of attorneys that, that your association would pay for by membership. And those attorneys would represent those police officers. You have um, also with that uh, benefits in terms of uh, long-term care and those other things that, that make up your, your full contract to, to really have a kind of 360 model to represent that police officer. So yeah. part of that job is actually lobbying as well. So when we, we go up and lobby Sacramento and some of the just challenging conversations that we have, uh, I think the, um, the biggest, the biggest challenge is when you're, you're talking about legislation and legislating law enforcement, and it's coming from a place where the individual has no actual concept of law enforcement. And then when we try to say things like, well, you know, hey, come come on a ride along with us, let, let, you know, come in, come into a simulator so you can just get a sample of what it may be. You know, the, the type of when we say, hey, it's a split second decision. Here's why. And then if you have and then the individual doesn't want to be a part of that at all. They don't want to know how sausage is made at all, but yet they want to go ahead and, and make the change. And yep. so. I, I think our challenge has always been is, hey, look, when we're, we're not saying that law enforcement's perfect because it definitely isn't. We're not saying that law enforcement can improve because it definitely can. But you cannot have effective change and not have us as a part of the solution. I mean, it's gone so far to where you're having some groups that say that community shouldn't have law enforcement at all, that the community should police themselves. And I think that's a very naive approach to the reality of, of, of humans. Exactly. Of yeah. Yeah. Cause then the same thing would happen with those people that are in charge of doing those activities. You know, you, you'll always mm -hmm. have people that don't want to be held accountable. Always. Correct. I mean, there's always gotta be someone to make them held accountable. So yeah. that's just like you said, the nature of humans. So, uh, yeah. you know, when you're not working, sounds like you got, you got a pretty, Full plate. When you're not working, what do you like to do? Uh, well, um, I really, 
<laughs> I really hope the NFL is playing this year because uh, I, I love NFL football, uh, college football too. But I, I'm a I'm a diehard Chicago Bears fan, so I'm I'm looking forward to them playing the Rams this year. I'm a, Wait, man, you're, you're not from Chicago though. I, I'm not. How the hell? I grew up. Look, I grew up in the '70s, and uh, Dad and my oldest sisters still big time Steeler fan because of the seventies, that time period. Um, but then I saw Walter Payton, you know, who's this young, young black dude just running over people yes. uh, from a, from a college I never even heard of. Wasn't big school, Jackson state. And, you know, his whole attitude of, of, uh, you know, don't, don't never, never go down easy, you know, always go down hard. And he embodied that. And I just, you know, start, started watching him. And then fell in love with the whole history of NFL and, and of Chicago. And, and I've been to Chicago a couple of times. Uh, every time I've tried to catch a game at, at the Soldier Field, it's been too dang cold. I'm from California. So <laughs> you're not trying I'm to do like, that. Huh? Yeah, I'm not trying to do that. So yeah. uh, caught, caught him a couple of times over here. You need to put that I, on I your bucket. You need to put that on your oh, bucket it, list. It, no, it, no it's, it's on my bucket list. Yeah, go every there, time I, mean, I go to Chicago. No, I mean, go there I, when it's cold. Take the shirt yes. off and everything like they do. Oh, no, no, I'm not put taking one my of the shirt letters off, on your I, chest. Yeah, yeah, no, not that crazy. <laughs> yeah, my 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 sister went back to uh, to watch a Steelers game in the cold, and she was freezing. And so we, that that is on the bucket list to do uh, for sure. Uh, but yeah, lo, lo, love football. I was coaching uh, pop water for a while. Uh, I got two two young daughters and been been coaching them in, in softball and basketball. Um, so that that's. That's the pastime, and then uh, uh, active with uh, with my local church, and uh, we actually have quite a, quite a lot of police officers at my age at my church, and so we we a few years back started a a security team um, because of the 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 church shootings, the epidemic, yeah, the the epidemic of church shootings, and it was one of those things like. Hey, we got so many cops here anyways. Why don't we identify them? Um, and that's what they did. They identified all the, the, the first responders. So we actually have a pretty robust uh, security team that's armed, a security team that's not armed, uh, some actual uh, professional doctors that are there. They, they've got a whole kit ready together, ready to go in the event that something happens. And so uh, there's that. And then with our church, they, they have what's called uh, – life groups. It's like a Bible study. It's making a, a bigger church smaller. Um, and so we actually started a, uh, a life group uh, for first responders. And so myself and, and a, another couple, uh, she was an ER nurse and he's actually a firefighter. And so this, this group is actually uh, firefighters, police officers, uh, and dispatchers, and then, uh, you know, EMTs or, or ER personnel. And so that, that's, that's, that's a weekly thing. It usually goes in 10 week sessions. So that's the other thing that I, that I love to do because it's, it's cathartic. It's a coping mechanism. People can, you know, it's a safe space for people to be able to talk with, with other people. And of course, being with firefighters in there, we have a, a fun time making fun of each other. Got to. Know, Got to. Yeah. So, so that, that's that, that's for the most part. And then, you know, my wife is, uh, she's a crime analyst uh, at, at another agency as well. So we have some interesting conversations about things and, other than that, uh, you know, raise, raising our our two daughters into to being productive uh, women. Yeah, that, what do that, they? What it. do they think about dad being a cop? See, funny story. Uh, 
my my oldest so my youngest daughter doesn't remember when i was a canine handler bringing the car home and everything and the dog and all of that my oldest daughter actually thought that i no longer was a cop because she no she no longer saw me in uniform like before with the, the police car and everything else so She's like, yeah, you're you're a you're a union guy now. You know, you're wearing a suit and tie, and you know. And so when I had to tell her, I was like, hey, I, I I'm still a police officer, and she we we actually had a uh, a picnic at work for all all the uh, family. She came down. She actually got to see me in uniform again. So we actually had a conversation just this past week about what was going on because she was hearing bits and pieces from friends. Hey, what what just happened? What's going on? And uh, some friends of ours were talking about going to a Black Lives Matter rally, and I said, "Oh, really?" I said, "Okay, what 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 do you want to go there for? What what do you think is going to be accomplished?" I said, "Because um, I'm I'm all about protesting. I, I got no issue with people protesting, but when you start burning things down and start lighting fires and, and destructive things, I said, I, I don't I don't need my daughter to get caught up in that. Yep, that right. I there. said, if you want to." If you want to be active and socially conscious about what's going on, I, I encourage that. I, I want you to find out. I said, but I want you to find out all of it, not just what people want you to hear. So you can make the decision for yourself. Um, since she's she's uh, she's in middle school, about to go into high school, and she's actually had me come and do a couple show and tells at her school. Um, and it, it was interesting to, to see it from her point of view because she wasn't bashful about, hey, you know, my dad's a cop. But but so, she didn't you, advertise it because because I, yeah. I told her not to advertise it. But she had some discussions with her friends, and she's like, "Well, hang on a second. My dad's a police officer, and he's not like that." So for show and tell, you bringing in union contracts? What are you doing? <laughs> no. So so we brought uh, this into the board, and, and they had to scratch this this line here. And <laughs> no. So she had one of her one of her uh, electives. Um, it was. Um, I forget what the the actual subject title was, but the the teacher was kind of like a CSI type thing. Um, so she said, "Hey, you you know, can can your can your dad bring a dog in?" I said, "Well, I don't have a dog anymore. I can see if one of the the other canine handlers can bring the dog in. Uh, if not, I can bring in all of the gear that we would wear. Talk about how we do searches and that kind of thing without the actual dog." That was part of the the thing that I loved about being a canine handler. We would do a lot of uh, show and tell at different schools and bring dogs there and stuff like that. So she 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 was like, "Well, the dog might be too disruptive, but because the subject matter was dealing with um, CSI type work and how crimes are investigated, so then she she said, "Hey, you know, bring in what you can. Um, no firearms or anything else, but how about all your equipment, your ballistic helmets, your your vest, and then you could talk about how you guys go about doing an actual grid search, how, how you, you know, method, what's the methodology behind how you search for, for a suspect, how you do a containment, those kind of things. And, you know, I brought in donuts and the kids loved the donuts and then they, you know, had their attention. And so they listened and so she loved it. And then for a day, she, yeah. she, she was big, big girl on campus. Cause they were like, Hey, your dad brought in donuts. Yeah. And that, that, yeah. That's all right. Easy, easy right there. All right. Well, that's yeah. good, man. Well, you know, I appreciate you coming on the show, giving us some insight about, you know, your agency. And let me ask you real quick, real quick, where, where do you see yourself in five years? What what does the future hold for Marshall McClain? <laughs> five years? Um, well, I won't be retired yet. 
because my young, uh, my uh, wife and I are talking. We're we're both on the same track. We'll probably retire in about ten years. Um, so five years from now, probably promoting. Yeah, I I I would I would hope to be promoting by then. Um, if not already a sergeant, looking to be lieutenant at the very least, uh, looking to take the next step and be a sergeant, maybe retire out, finish out my career as a sergeant. And you said uh, your, your agency is still pretty diverse, so uh, diversity for promotional opportunities in the ranks, it, it's still pretty good at uh, at LAXPD? Yeah, they, there was a <laughs> – we've got some challenging things going on with our past chief. There's uh, multiple lawsuits been – been filed as a result of of, of that very thing of, of discrimination and um, this individual came from Orange County. Um, we we probably have more diversity on our board than he had in his entire agency, um, and that's not a stretch. Uh, so he came in doing some some things that that may have worked elsewhere. Definitely didn't work in LA County. He brought in two other individuals also from Orange County. Uh, it rubbed everybody the wrong way because it was like this false ceiling that you couldn't promote past the rank of captain at LAX. And like I said, we're very diverse, but all of our chiefs of police were were white males. It's like why 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 is it that you have a very diverse agency, but you you can't seem to promote past the rank of captain? So uh, bringing in the, the the chief that we have have now, and I literally was trying to court this guy for years when he was over at the sheriff's academy. His name kept coming up in the labor side of the union for the sheriffs, as well as in the community, his name kept coming up. And, you know, he's got a unique name, Cecil Rambo, Rambo law enforcement. It, it was just, it was a good, good thing. Just like people, Hey, Marshall McLean, they'll either the older cats will say, Hey, Marshall Dillon, Marshall McLean. I think the, the whole yeah. old Western thing, the, the younger group would say, Oh yeah. McLean, like John McLean. And, you know, the yeah, yeah. Series. so, so we had that in common where if people knew me and they knew my name, it would pass around. Same thing with him, Cecil Ramble, Cecil Ramble. And so we, we finally connected and we started talking and he actually applied three different times. This was his third time applying. And that was a thing that, that we, we saw like, Hey, this guy is far more qualified than any person we've ever had, but yet it took him three times to get, a, get, get hired. And you had people from much, much smaller agencies beating him out. I mean, the last assistant chief we had came from Fountain Valley. It's an agency of 50 people. Mm-hmm. We put out more than 50 people on one shift. And so we're like, how, how is this chief of police from Fountain Valley more qualified than our, our police captains? And so that that's what we kept happening. Why, why are you not allowing any, any African-Americans to promote up? So he came in and the first thing he did was promote one of our uh, female captains to assistant chief. Uh, black male's assistant chief now. And so seeing that um, at a time when we said, hey, look, look at our pool of captains. There's one white male, the rest are either black or Hispanic, but we can never promote up. So him coming in definitely changed the dynamics. Like I said, he's only been here six months. Uh, his predecessor, uh, I, in my opinion, set us back about five years, just the the type of things he was doing and the type of folks that he was promoting and the way he was going about doing things. Um, similar to what happened in not s- similar in the case of, of the incidences, but like Beverly Hills just had a, an issue where their chief of police had multiple lawsuits over, over a short period of time. And that's what mm-hmm. we're experiencing right now. 
Uh, and I think only because of COVID and shutting down the courts is the only reason why you haven't seen a lot of that come out. But right. uh, it, it's going to happen soon. And I, I think that our our agency, our department, the city is going to have to make a decision as to whether they're going to look at paying out millions of dollars in lawsuits or if they're going to look out saying, hey, we've got, a, we've got the new chief here. His predecessor is still there in an administrative uh, non-sworn position above him. It's time to let him go and so we can heal and move on because uh, we got a lot of great ideas of, of, of doing what we do and expanding on it, like I said, with all the things happening and doing another massive hiring and continue hiring more diversity uh, in our agency. Yeah. Hearing what you're saying about that, how, you know, you guys are a, a large, diverse agency, but yet a lot of your, your higher ups weren't diverse, mm-hmm. weren't, weren't minorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been hearing that discussion lately with, uh, with the NFL, you know, with yeah. you know, 80, 80% of the, the players are you know, African-American, but there's, you know, a real small number of coaches and, and definitely mm-hmm. none in the front office and then uh, zero actually, you know, in, in, uh, in ownership. So, you know, there, you know, a lot of Rooney rule talk right. is, is up now. So yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting. All this is still going on in, in our country. So, yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's, that's where we come back to full circle. When, when I said to people ask the question, how can you be, how can you be a black man and be in the profession that you're in? Well, how you expect there to be actually any change in that environment if you don't have diversity to start. I mean, you got to start somewhere. Yeah. And uh, I, I noticed the change in, in all environments when you start seeing people break that, that, that glass ceiling and not saying that you're going to automatically look up and say that all police officers need to be black because that would be ridiculous. We're only what 13% of this country. But if you're patrolling an area it should reflect the area that you're patrolling somewhat. And if, and, and in my opinion, if you, if you can't recruit people from the area that you patrol, then you need to look at that agency and what is it that your agency is doing to market yourself to the people in that, that environment? Because it's still, in my opinion, law enforcement is still a, a very noble profession. We do have some bad actors in here, case in point, Minneapolis, and a lot of other things we can name. But by and large, we have over 800,000 police officers in right, this country. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's a but, large number. And so that doesn't reflect of all the incidents that were happening. Yeah, but you've been seeing, you know, across the board, across the country, you know, recruitment is down everywhere. Yes. And that's just because, you know, the younger kids don't want to be cops. And right. for whatever reason, you know, they're taking those tech jobs. And, and I don't blame them if they want to be Bezos and and uh, make mm-hmm. trillion, you know, trillion dollars. Hey, <laughs> I'm all for that too. You know, that's that's I'm what I'm gonna do when too. I grow up. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna do when I grow up. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna do something. Uh, well, well, Amazon, Amazon. No, I keep keep doing what you're doing, getting your message out there, and letting people know. I mean, putting the humanity back into law enforcement, and and I think like with anything else, if you if you see people like yourself growing up and something you can aspire to, I think you that that really changes the narrative when you can say, hey. That, that person looks like me and that person acts like me. That person talks like me. Yeah. You know what? Maybe I can do that job too. Yeah. That's, that's what the whole point of this, uh, this podcast, this show black and blue. That's what it's all about. Uh, just letting people I, see. I, pre- I, I appreciate you, man. I want to know yeah. how I can get that shirt. 
Oh yeah, we'll we'll talk we'll talk off air, and I'll definitely get All you right. one. So on that note, let's wrap this up. But before I let you go, um, I'm see I'm sure you've seen other episodes. Uh, I like to play a game with my guests before uh, they get out of here. So let me set this up for you. Wait, hang on, I got another call. Who this? Oh, hi, mama. Who this? What kind of way is that to answer the phone? This game is called Who Dis. I'm going to play some sound bites and uh, see if you can guess who it is. And uh, if you get enough, then you, you're going to be the winner. And if, if you don't, uh, I don't want to call you the loser. All right. So pretty, pretty simple, right? All right. Got All right. It. So here's, here's your first one here. Did I do that? Did you hear that? Oh, that is. Yes. Did I do that? Real simple. Off to a good start. Yeah, so when you hear that, just tell me. You can tell me who the character is or what show that was from. So got you don't you, you don't got to be all specific, but you got that one right. Here's your next one. I love it when a plan comes together. Oh, come on. That's the 18. Ah, uh-huh, yes. I love it when a plan comes together. That's Hannibal from the A-Team. Yeah, this is testing your, your pop culture knowledge here. Here's your next one. Oh, uh, the Jetsons. The Jetsons, yes, sir. James, stop this crazy thing. Yeah, all right. Here's your next one. You got to come a little harder, dog. You got to figure it out. One more time. You got to come a little harder, dog. You got to figure it out. Who do you think that is? Show or the name of the character? Oh, I know it. Can I get a hint? <laughs> no hints. No hints. Five, no. four. No, you got me. You got to come a little harder, dog. You got to figure it out. That's Randy Jackson from American Idol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the dog, I thought you would have got that. That, That's his catchphrase. It was was clicking. Yeah. I didn't really watch American Idol, but I knew knew that. You knew that one. All right. Here's your next one. Hated it. (laughs) That's in living color. That's in living color, definitely. (laughs) Hated it. Yeah. <laughs> Who's that? Uh, David Allen Greer and uh, yep. Marlon. Marlon uh, Wayans. Uh, Wayans. Yeah. Wayans, yep. Men on film, right? Yeah, doing pretty yeah, good. Here. Show back. Yep. Here's your next one. Hey, hey, hey. Let's break up the play. Fat Albert. Bad Definitely Albert. Fat Albert. Hey, hey, hey. Let's break up the play. Yeah. All Bill right. Cosby, yeah. Mm-hmm. Here's your next one. Oh, I know that was kind oh, of short. Let's try that again. Oh, he said, golly. Oh, was that uh, Gomer Pyle? That's Gomer Pyle. Oh, I think you got it more from me than you did from the soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Right? All right, a couple more for you. Here's, here's your next one. You big dummy. Get that one. You need to hear it again. No, I know it. Uh, just oh, was that uh, Sanford? Sanford? You Sanford? big dummy. Definitely Sanford. Fred you Sanford. You big dummy. Yeah, Fred Sanford uh, from Sanford Red and Son. Fox. Yes, yeah, Red, Red Fox. Fox. And here's your last one. Here's your last one. You rang. Uh, that one. Yeah. Um, wait, Adams family. Lurch. Definitely Lurch from Adams. You rang. All right, man. You you got uh, yeah. eight out of nine. So we're going to call you win, 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 the winner. 
that's hilarious. Yeah. yeah, eight out of nine. I'm glad you got through that one. Yeah, you know, grew up in the eighties, right? And stuck to that, stuck to that TV, that boob tube, right? And we are back. All right, cool, man. I appreciate you. Um, Likewise, you, you, you blew through that game like it was nothing. <laughs> you almost you almost had that last one. I almost had that one, that one that you missed, Randy. Randy, Randy. Jackson. You had it had it on the tip of your tongue too, didn't you? Yep. Yep. <laughs> All right, brother. I, I appreciate you. You be safe out Likewise. there at the uh, LAX. And uh and we'll talk soon. And uh Absolutely. yeah, wash your hands, wear your mask, all that good stuff. Yep. All right. Yes, sir. All right, we'll talk. Stay safe. God bless. Right. You too. All right, Square Pegs. That's it for this episode of the Black and Blue Podcast. I want to thank my guests on this episode, Marshall McLean of the Los Angeles Airport Police Department for joining me here today. My man, you are a wealth of knowledge and I'm blessed to have had you on this episode. Thank you. And if you guys out there enjoy this kind of content and you want to listen or see stuff like this in the future, make sure you like and subscribe to the show on the Black and Blue Podcast YouTube channel and every single podcast platform there is. I'll be back next week but another interesting guest, same black time, same black channel. But till then, come on now, y'all know what to do already. Stay black and blue. I'll holla at you. Peace. This has been a Nature Day Entertainment presentation.